Good morning, friends. I, I said this last time I preached, which was quite a while ago, but I'm not a pastor here. I'm one of you. And I say that because you, too, could be up here doing this, especially if you're a woman. So come on, gals. Let's do this. Right? Yeah. Um, what an amazing time of worship. Thank you, Julia, Julie, not Julia, uh, the Edgley Band, as they're now called. That was, I would actually just like to keep going, but I feel like my motives wouldn't be totally pure. Um, but that was very, very wonderful. Thank you so much, and look forward to kind of bookending our time together with more of that. You guys sounded so great, and just touched. So, let's pray. I need lots of help this morning, so... Let's ask for help. Please ask for help with me. That would be great. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much for these words that we get to dwell on this morning and receive and allow you to breathe life into them and into us. And God, I just ask for help. Um, I ask for clarity and um, We just expect you to move, God, in the moment, in the seconds of our lives when we don't expect it. We expect you to do um, the extraordinary in the ordinary moments. And so this is one of those times where we expect that from you, God, to move in love and power in this place, in our lives, in our hearts, um, through your scripture. So we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, we have been going through a series on 1 John. And if you've been here at any point in the last four, now five weeks, you will know that um, it's been a very fascinating series and uh, one that is just full of lots of different things. I think Nelson alluded last week to the complexity of 1 John when it comes to trying to dissect it and even speak about it because... John is a little bit all over the place in this letter. He goes here and here and then back here, but in a little bit of a different way. And then he seems to contradict himself over here. And then he says this, and then he goes over here. And, uh, and then we want to kind of, you know, piece it out over the course of, I think, six weeks, eight weeks. I'm not really sure how long it's going. This is week five. So if you're just jumping in, if this is your first time in this series, then hopefully you're not going to be lost. I'm going to try to give you as much context as possible. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a letter, so it's kind of uh, a little bit of a, a breather in a sense this week, as you'll soon discover, but I thought it would hopefully be helpful for us just to kind of go through uh, the belief of Gnosticism, which is what this letter is in response to. Um, and I, I know Lance and Nelson have both uh, talked about it briefly in their sermons, and uh, just as a bit of a summary, as a little bit of maybe a history lesson, not too in-depth, we're going to talk a little bit about Gnosticism this morning, um, just to understand Um, the letter, but also to understand our context as well. So if you hate history, I apologize, but this is actually super interesting. So stick with me. Okay, so things that we've talked about so far in these four weeks, we've talked about sin, uh, why sin matters, uh, why we shouldn't sin, um, that we shouldn't sin, how how we shouldn't sin. We've talked about ordering our loves. That was last week with Nelson. We've talked about the fact that truth cannot be separated from love, and that's one of the big themes of this letter because of the, uh, the Gnostic belief going around. 
And then, of course, we talked about the false teachings and antichrists. And again, uh, that was a bit of last week as well. So, Gnosticism. Anyone remember what that is? From previous weeks? Yes. 20 points for you. Um, yes, secret wisdom or knowledge, exactly. So what that means, what, how that played out, was that um, it, was a, it was a belief even before Jesus came, and then as Jesus came, it kind of grew into what we call Christian Gnosticism. Essentially, just this belief that Jesus came as a spirit and not in the flesh, and the idea of salvation was more wrapped around the fact that he would help bring enlightenment um, in self-revelation. Uh, in your spirit, as opposed to anything to do with the body or anything to do with sin and death. So it was very much an understanding that the spirit is good and the flesh or the body is evil. And so the response in that was two things. You would either be extremely disciplined and try to um, submit your body to, uh, to do different things so that your, your spirit could gain more strength and your body less strength, or you would just say, forget it all, I'm, I'm just going to let my body go roll with the punches and do whatever it dang well pleases. And so in that, you have the body, just, you just fulfill all the desires and passions that, that one's body would have. And, so, and that's kind of the one that, that John here is really um, leaning into, is a second option where within the church, there was this belief that you could love God or the Father, um, that Jesus was just kind of a, a spirit being out there, um, help, helping you to find your inner self, and therefore, just do whatever you, whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. The flesh is evil. It will all burn someday anyway. So this was a huge threat to early Christianity, and it went into the second century. So 1 John was actually written in the first century, so it was still kind of brewing. Jesus had recently walked the earth and died. And so these ideas were still very fresh in the church. And into the second century, it became a really huge problem. And eventually the church said, we got to do something about this. And they got together. This is like condensing many hundreds of years in like two sentences, by the way. They got together and they decided to begin to work on the canon of scripture, which is what we have here on our chairs. Um, That was in response to Gnosticism of the first and second century. It was so prevalent. They had to get together and say, well, what what is true about Jesus they also did things like they wrote the creeds. Anyone here familiar with the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? Grew up maybe saying them in school or in church. Um, that's why they wrote them, was in response to Gnosticism. So if you go through the creeds, I actually have one here. You can kind of just read it as I'm talking. Um, we don't really have time to go through it. But if you read it, you'll notice that there's lots to do with the fact that Jesus was a flesh person. Is that how you say it? A flesh person? Yeah. Hashtag flesh person. Um, And so you can just see how it so much is reacting to this belief that Jesus was not a person, that he didn't come to die, that he certainly didn't raise from the dead. Um, And even the ideas of creation were disputed as well. So it was a huge, uh, huge thing in the second century, especially. John is here just kind of starting to address that within the early church. So you might be thinking... Well, that is really interesting, Steph. Thank you for sharing that. Um, But that has nothing to do with me. We're now in the 21st century, and I'm not a Gnostic, and I don't really think I know anyone that believes those things. Or maybe you do. Whatever the case, 
there are definitely ways that this understanding has also seeped in to our context, and I think we've already been talking about some of that in the last few weeks as well. This is hot water. I don't recommend it when you're speaking. So if anyone has cold water to lend me, I'm not afraid of germs. Hot water it is. Okay. (laughs) Cup of cold water? Jesus' name? No, no. Oh, yes. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. I am not sick. Thank you so much. I'll return this. Okay. Now that I can speak again. So, where are we with the slides? We've got some slides. Um, I, I... Borrowed some from Lance. These will look familiar to those of you who were um, here when Lance spoke on Gnosticism. He did a really great job of kind of separating out ancient Gnosticism with contemporary. And so we're going to go through these really quick. We're just going to focus on the middle column, talking about contemporary Gnosticism, and more water. Wow, this is awesome. Thank you. Can I have too much water? I should go to the bathroom. One second. Okay. So... Just, no, I, I'll hold it. Thanks. Okay, so let's run through... Uh, sorry, Lance. This, is my, this is, might be my last time preaching. Um, we're going to run through these slides. So, contemporary Gnosticism. Your world is inferior. Next slide. The mundane is the problem. Look inward to find the real you. Escape the mundane to the amazing life. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag jet life. I actually don't know what that hashtag is. This is Lance, Lance's hashtag, so he, he must use it. I don't, I don't use that one. Um, okay. Uh, get the perfect life through tips, tweaks, hacks, and the secrets of success. Self-create. You are a seeker, pursuing fulfillment through amazing experiences and pleasure. It's all about you. Does this sound familiar at all? Kind of, yeah. I think we, uh, this is actually very much a part of our vocabulary. Even, even as Christians, we, we kind of see, I think we see faith sometimes in this way. Um, I, get, I catch myself, you know, when I, uh, when I just think about, well, God has made me for a purpose. And, of course, it's his will that uh, I become all that I can be because that's, that is the best thing for the world, that I am my ultimate self, and, and God wants to give me all these things, you know, and it goes on and on and on, and, and we have this way of kind of understanding um, life in a very, it's all about me kind of way, even though we say things like it's God's will and whatnot. So I think First John continues to, uh, to speak uh, to us and to these parts of us that, um, that are just real and just a part of how we think every day, whether we realize it or not. When I was in high school, I had a certain way of um, declaring my faith. And if you grew up in, well, if you're born in the late 70s, anyone here? No, okay. Um, Lance, yeah, thanks, Lance. Okay, so you're going to know what I'm talking about. Also, Nelson, I know Nelson knows too. The 90s came, and in high school, in this rage of, next slide, Christian t-shirts, Anyone remember the era where you, you declared your faith through your, your T-shirt? 
Did anyone ever wear these t-shirts? Raise a hand. John Voss? Yeah. Um, okay, so this was big in the, in the early 90s. And this is, I, I wore them. And I, I wore them for the first little while very proudly. I soon realized that they were not cool. I went to public high school um, and... It was not pretty. I got, I got teased a lot, and then I stopped wearing them. I had really offensive ones, ones that I actually told, like, like Christian, but really offensive. As we know, Christians can be very offensive. I was telling my sister about one that I had a couple days ago, and I like, was embarrassed to tell her that I wore this shirt. And I will not tell you what it said, but if you want to know... No, 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 it's, it's literally offensive, but... <laughs> Ask me, ask me after if you want to know. I do not actually want to say it in public. I can't believe that we, we thought that was a good idea. Anyway, now you want to keep listening. Oh, I know. I'll tell you at the end of my sermon <laughs> what the t-shirt said. No. So I don't wear those t-shirts anymore. Let's go through a couple more here. So we've got God the Father. Um, I didn't have that one either. And the next one, oh, I don't, I don't know how that one got in there. Next one. This one I found online. Isn't that just like, what? Anyway, that's real. That's a real person. Um, so Christian t-shirts, not a good idea. Um, okay, that's enough of those. So I don't wear those anymore. I don't have them anymore. Um, and now I live in Vancouver. Like, that was, like, small town. I was, you know, early 90s, and now I'm sophisticated. I live in Vancouver. It's 2017, and I don't wear those t-shirts anymore. In fact, I don't want to wear them, and I have good reasons why I don't, but I also, as I've been thinking about it, I don't want to wear them because I don't want most people to know that I'm a Christian when I first meet them. Why? Why would I not want anyone to know that? Because I feel embarrassed sometimes. Like, I feel like there's so much baggage with the name Christian that, I don't know, I don't want people to know that I come from a, such a tainted past, maybe. You know, we've got a history that's bloody, that forces people to believe what we believe. Um, lots of hatred, lots of hating people that are different than us, all those kinds of things. And I think my, my preferred scenario is that they get to know me first, and they find out that I'm really cool, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nice, I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm like all the things that kind of is a Christian, but then at the very end, somehow it gets out that I'm a Christian, they're like, that is so awesome. You're also a Christian, you're all these things, and oh, I get it, it's because of Jesus. Oh, I want to believe what you believe. That's how it goes in my head, but that's never happened before. Um, and so I think there's just, I'm embarrassed about, about what I'm associated with sometimes. That's changing. I, I really believe that's changing, but it's still partly there. I also, I also think that sometimes I just don't know what I believe. Like if you're in a conversation with someone who doesn't believe what you believe, I think there's just, there's so much kind of gray sometimes. And we're, we're in this weird time of history where we don't really always know what, what is true and so we just don't want to say anything because we don't really know. Or we just like substitute words like, I don't really want to say the word Jesus. So I'm just going to say love. Love is in this place. You know, 
or love did that. And like Jesus, God is love, so it's technically it's right. But we, we just find ways to kind of beat around the bush with our language. Um, I don't know. We, we sometimes use creator or the universe or karma. Karma is kind of like doing unto others as you would have them do to you, which is in the Bible. And it's kind of like that, although it's kind of not. But it's, it's close enough. And, and we just kind of find ways to talk um, in a city that is in some ways very anti-Jesus. And I find myself doing it. Um, and this, yeah, just kind of pausing on this passage, which we will get to soon, um, has made me just really be aware of the fact that I, I do that. I do that with the people who, um, who don't follow Jesus. I don't want to offend them, but I also um, don't really know sometimes what I think. And even deeper than that, when I do know the implications of what it means to follow Jesus... I don't want to follow Jesus. Like, I don't want those implications. I want to believe the things about Jesus that are true. But as we've learned and are learning from 1 John, there are results of that belief. There are implications, deep, life-changing implications. And I don't want those. I want to do what I want to do. And so there's lots of layers to, I think, why we um, shy away and fade away uh, from truth and therefore from love. And we just become kind of blended in with the culture around us. And John is addressing this throughout his letter. And I just encourage you, I mean, we can't cover most of it today, but I encourage you to go home and read it and just digest it and pray through it and listen to the sermons again and just ask God, how is Gnosticism a part of my life, in my community, um, in my culture? Okay, let's go to the next slide, and we're going to skip that one, and that one, and we're not going to skip that one. This is Nelson, and I love how our pastors often put photos of the theologians that they quote from, and so I thought I would do the same this morning with Nelson. Um, This is what Nelson said last week to us, and this is just a great summary so far. The Antichrist way to think is that you can have the Father without trusting Jesus. When we lose Jesus from the equation, slowly it becomes increasingly difficult to recognize the image of Christ in our lives and families and churches. And so we come back to first gone, first gone, first John. Why is it important that Jesus came in the flesh? Like, why is that such a big deal? Um, I, I've recently been in conversations with people, with, with Christians who say, I like the story, I don't, really know, I don't really know that it's true, but it's a good story and I feel the impacts of it in my life somehow. And yeah, I think we really struggle with that. 2,000 years later, why is it important that Jesus came in the flesh? Well, we've talked about some of those reasons. We're going to go into 1 John 2, 28 to 310. That's page 856 on your chair Bible. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, 
that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of a devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. The word of God. That's some. That's some hard stuff, right? This this has been a hard a hard uh, letter to go through. Um, yeah, I, I've I found it extremely difficult and a little bit like now I have to preach on this and I don't know that I totally get it. You know, when you talk in front of a group of people, you want to kind of know what you're talking about. And I, I just there's so much mystery to this for me still. So take that with you, grain of salt maybe, or just. We just need to acknowledge that there is, there is some mystery to this. It's not easy to understand, especially, I think, how John lays it out. And it's translated from another language and all of those things. Um, but we're going to try. So we're actually just going to focus on the first five or six verses. Um, this, the second half of the passage is actually um, just him kind of re-saying other things in a little bit of a different way. So we're not going to really focus on that today. We're going to zero in on the, um, the first uh, 28 to 3, 3, 3. So, he talks right away about when Jesus appears. This is also known as the second coming of Christ. Also, which I didn't think I'd ever preach about. So, um, wow, what do you guys think of when you hear the second coming of Christ? Shout it out. What, what first comes to mind? What's that? Left behind? Yeah. Kirk Cameron? Yeah. Anyone else? Rays of light, okay, yeah. Sorry? Kingdom on earth. Saved from wrath. Awesome, yeah. I think we've all, most of us, um, even those of us who haven't grown up in the church, it's one of those things that you kind of hear about, especially because the Left Behind series became um, so, shall we use the word popular? Um, So known among people. I think of this movie called A Thief in the Night, I hear some groans. Uh, when I was a kid, this, this movie was made in the 70s, and there was actually four of them, but the first one is called A Thief in the Night. Um, and it's about, it's a very um, specific way of understanding the second coming of Christ. 
and it's about the rapture, and basically uh, the rapture comes and um, some people are, are left behind and some people go up to be with Jesus in the movie. Um, and it's about this girl who's left behind and she has to face the one world government and it's terrifying, especially as a child. And I, that's when I watched it. And I'm sure some of you watched it as a kid too. It was really big, I think, in the 80s. And, uh, and it left, like, I think probably pretty deep scars on what I have thought and still kind of wrestle with when I think about the second coming because it's, there's so much fear involved. Uh, I remember I would just pray every night for years after that, that like to pray the sinner's prayer kind of thing, just in case Jesus came in the night when I was sleeping. I wanted to make sure that I was saved, so just do it one more time. My mom would go for groceries and leave me behind. If she was late coming back, my mind, first thing I would think of is that Jesus has come, the rapture just happened, and I've been left behind. And I would be in tears. My mom would come home and like, what is wrong, Steph? I'm like, I thought that Jesus came. And the... So I just, I just pray again, of course. Um, so this is what, what I think of when I, initially, uh, when I think about Jesus coming back. And I just want, for those of you who carry that same baggage that I have, this is not that. And know that that utter fear that we had as, as children, it is, it is wrong. Um, it is wrong, and it totally distorts our understanding of the beauty and the love of when Jesus returns to make all things right and to bring his kingdom here on earth. If you need to pray through some of that after, come see me. I'll pray, you pray, let's clear the air and move on and know that um, Jesus' appearing is going to be um, yes, there will be lots going on, but there's also so much goodness and so much amazing perfection and righteousness and, and good judgment um, on the earth. And so there's more to it than just um, panic and fear. And that's how John couches Jesus' appearing. Um, he talks about, he goes from thinking about Jesus' appearing to talking about, wait a minute, God loves us. Why is all this happening? It's because God loves us. And that's where we pick it up in 3.1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I feel like if you read the whole letter in one sitting, um, he's talked about a lot of stuff up to this point. And I get the sense that at this point he takes a bit of a breath. And he's been thinking a lot about, you know, remember, remember how you first came um, to the Father. It was through Jesus. And remember that what you believe is going to result in how you act and that those things cannot be separated. And all these things, you know, that he's talking through. And then he stops and he remembers that Jesus is going to come back. And now remember, John was a disciple of Jesus. So it wasn't just that he knew Jesus in the way that we know him, but he actually was his friend, his companion, his disciple. And he walked with him and heard him preach and prayed with him and I'm sure just hung out with him, had a good laugh with him. And so I'm sure writing even this letter is an emotional thing for, for John. He's remembering Jesus. And it, I don't know if you can imagine just a, a good friend, maybe your best friend or your spouse or whoever, someone that you love deeply as Jesus loved, as John loved Jesus. And um, imagine they say to you one day, 
hey, just so you know, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die really soon. And, but don't worry, three days later, I'm actually going to raise myself from the dead. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for a while. I'm not going to tell you how long. But I will come back. And when I come back, I've prepared this amazing home for you. And we're going to be together forever. Like, that's, that's the story that Jesus essentially told John before he died. And you just be like, what? Like, Jesus, you've said some really, really extreme things. But this, this is kind of, this is it. Um, and then Jesus does die. And then Jesus does raise himself from the dead. And then you got to think, well, I bet the rest of the story is probably true. The hard part's done. That's got to be the hard part. Um, and, and so John is just in this moment of like, this is true. Jesus said he was going to come back someday. And it's, it's going to happen. This is true. And this is, this is where John is at in all of this talk about Gnosticism and antichrists and whatnot. He is reveling in the fact that this is true and it's God's love. It's because of God's love. It's because we are God's children that we will see him face to face someday. When was the last time you thought about the gospel or your faith in this way? You don't have to answer. But if you're anything like me, I don't really think about the appearing of Christ very often. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just too busy or whatever. I, I, believe, I believe it will happen, absolutely. But I don't really think about it. But here, here is a, a point in this letter where John actually says it's because of this that we have hope. The hope that he expresses is because Jesus is going to come back. That the, the, the new life, the new creation, the new kingdom is... Um, has already begun, and Jesus will come back to make all things right and fulfill all things. This is where our hope as Christian actually lies. And I just don't think about it very often. I don't live in that reality very often. But can you imagine whether it's something in your own life that, you, that feels hopeless, or you look around at the world and you look at North Korea and the missiles going back and forth, and you're like, how will we ever solve the world's problems? Um, big or small, or, or climate change, you know, the, the, the stats that show, like, it's, it's hopeless, like, we're going down the toilet, it's just a matter of time. Um, we, we look at our world and ourselves, and we think, how? Where's the hope? And without Jesus, there is no hope. There's just no hope. And that's why John is fighting for this belief in this letter, that Jesus is real, that he walked the earth, that he actually died, that he actually rose again, and that he is actually coming back, because that is how and why we have hope. That's it. But he couches that in, in love. We're God's children, and it's all because God loves us. I'm, Jill, I'm sorry, I'm skipping slides like crazy, and you're, I think you're following me, so thank you, but I don't even know where we are on the slides, but anyway. 
Jill, she's awesome. Thank you, Jill. So, John is linking hope to Christ's appearing to righteousness, interesting, and to our righteousness. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I've really been wrestling with this. Like, why does it matter that we're pure? Why can't what I just said just be the story? But why does it matter that we are actually pure? Why does it matter what we actually do with our bodies? It's a, if you have the answer after, please come tell me. Because it's, it's one of those things that I just, you know, I just can't qu- quite wrap my mind or my heart around. But I think I get enough to at least say something to you this morning. And then you guys can go away and, and, and think through it and pray through it and ask God these questions of like, but God, why does it matter? I hope you do, because sermons are not supposed to be the answer. They're supposed to just spark more questions, and then we get to go and, and figure out and live it out and, and wrestle with it. So purity. Oh, there's a loaded word. We'll talk about that in a minute. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We are, we are signposts of the new creation, so when, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he ushered in a new kingdom. That's what, that's what scripture says. And we get to be signposts of that um, to declare who he is to this world uh, until he comes again. And that's kind of a bit of a summary of why, why John says, all who have this hope in him, in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Because we are those people. We are his new creation And we get to be like him to this world until he comes again. I think there's also an element of this is just, it just comes out of love. Like, okay, I can do those things. I can make those choices. But is that what John is saying? Just choose to do the right thing because now you're a child of God and you have to do it. I don't think so. Because John, and especially in the Gospel of John, but also in 1 John, um, same, same author, if I didn't say that already, um, John talks so much about abiding in Jesus, right? Like that's one, of his, that's one of his things that he talks about more than anyone else. Remain in me. Abide in me. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus is living in you and you live in him. Read John to get more of what that actually implies. But I think um, there is a, a relationship like none other in Christ. And we can, we can think about people that we love a lot and how we become like them. I'm sure, I'm sure you all have stories about maybe, maybe it's with your significant other or a good friend where as you get to know them, you become like them, like you start to pick up their mannerisms and their phrases and whatnot. But you also start to really love the things that they love and care about the things that they love and the people that they love. Um, and that's just become, that's a natural thing of how we were made. How much more so not just with a friend, another person, but when you have the presence of God living inside of you, how much more so will you love the things that Jesus loves and become like him, become pure like him? And it's not so much a do these things, but it's just like you will become this. I mean, throughout, throughout all of 1 John, um, John just kind of automatically says, if, if you are in Christ, you will not sin. It's just, just how it is. Now he's not talking about you won't, you won't um, 
do wrong things. He's talking about habitual uh, sin, where we just keep go on sinning and, and go on sinning and, and, and not stop. Um, John very much talks about if you do sin, confess your sin, and he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you. So it's not that you have to be perfect, but it's just this idea that if you are in Christ and if he is in you, you just, you just become like him. It's just it's what will happen over the course of a lifetime. I think it's, um, it's easy to read a passage like that and go, okay, forget it, I'm out. Like, I can't, I know, I remember last night very clearly, I know that's not what this is talking about. Or um, we just, you know, we know the places in our, in our lives where we're, we're not pure, we're just not. And like, well, I can't, this isn't me, I can't, I can't carry this one. Um, I, think, I think a lot of us too, because of the word purity, we immediately just associate it with I don't know, a purity ring? Anyone? I, I know I'm doing lots of throwbacks to the 90s here. Forgive me. But anyone remember the purity ring? I, I had a necklace. I didn't, I didn't want to wear the ring. But I had a necklace. I don't know, I don't know where it is now. Yeah, I should look for that. Um, anyway. But, but we, we associate purity a lot with, with, first of all, with sexual purity. I think that's kind of where we go immediately. And then we think about all the things that we've done or not done, and we feel guilt or we feel pride, and we're just like kind of messed up a little bit about that. Or we just think about these impossibly high standards that, that we think we have or that God has on us, and it's like, well, I, there's no way I can ever achieve that. So if that's purity, I, I can't do it. I guess I, I can't do this, this uh, Christian thing. And that's why it's really important in First John especially to read the whole letter because if we just pick out certain verses, it's really easy to get messed up. So read the whole letter. Listen to all the sermons, not just mine. Um, because, yeah, it's, it, context is so important when we talk about this kind of stuff. But I want to say, you know, we can think, okay, well, purity, that's like nice and shiny or whatever. But I, I, I want to be clear that, that John is talking about moral purity here. So there's no, there's no beating around the bush. He's talking about morality and how we, how we live our lives. And he's not talking about love yet. Loving our brother and sister come in the next part. And that's in the sermon in two weeks, I'm assuming. Um, he's just talking about you and me. I think sometimes we like, well, I do love other people well. And we, like, that's where we go with, like, Jesus is who Jesus is. And I'm abiding in him. And so I love other people well. But I think John is saying, no, you've got to take one step back here. We've got to start with you, with your purity. And that's the place that you love others out of. You can't miss that step. But I think it's so important to remember that Christ's purity, okay, so Christ is pure. And then it's not a heavy burden to carry. Christ is good and righteous and loving, and kind, and perfect. And we get to be made in his image. We get to go through a process for the rest of our lives of that refinement. And it's good. It's not a prison. It's not ropes and chains. It's freedom. This is what he's offering us when he says to be pure as Christ is pure. Freedom. Let the, let the, let the sin and the dirt and the, just the, the nonsense uh, fall to the side and, and go through the refiner's fire and let Jesus 
purify you. And yes, in prayer, we, we do that. But just in the decisions that you make, oh, Jesus, what does it mean in this situation to be pure? And we just went through a whole series on the Holy Spirit. And this is where you need the Holy Spirit. This is where I need the Holy Spirit because this is where that relationship becomes a back and forth dialogue of the Spirit in you speaking to you, teaching you all things and showing you the ways of Jesus, showing you what that looks like because you are a signpost of the new kingdom. You are a signpost of new life. And it starts with you and with me. And that is such a beautiful thing. And when Christ appears, we shall be like him in fullness because we will finally see him as he is. And what a day that will be, whatever that looks like, when all things are made right. All things will be made right someday. That is our hope. So we're going to wrap up. Um, maybe, I don't know, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe um, talking about Gnosticism at the beginning was enough for you to say, yeah, that's me. Like, I don't really know what I believe about Jesus. I don't really know that I even believe he's real. I like the idea, I like the idea of some kind of being or force that loves me, that is making all things going a certain way. But I don't know, that's okay that you're there. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Keep working through that. Maybe you need healing from the Left Behind series. You're in the right place. Maybe you just need to have a fresh infusion of hope in uh, something in your life that you've just... You just don't see that there's a way out. It's just going to be the way it is. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's an addiction this morning that you just feel utterly defeated in. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a relationship. I hope you can hear that there is hope. There is always hope for everything in this world in Christ. Or maybe there's something in your life that God actually wants to change in you this morning. Purity. Maybe there's something that He's speaking to you about, like, like, don't keep doing this. It's, it's destroying you. It's destroying the people around you. I love you. I want to make this right in your life. I want you to become like me because I love you. Maybe that's what you need this morning. I don't know what you need, but God knows what you need. And you're in the right place this morning because we are gathered as his children not just to listen to someone preach or to sing songs, but to come as we are and to come before him as we are with each other as a community. Um, you all have heard it before. We're a very good-looking church. I mean, look at us. Right? But underneath, you guys, underneath, we're just like everyone else. We're just like everyone else. we got stuff to clean up. We've got Jesus to do the cleaning. And that's what this place is this morning. And know that, that this is a space for that. We have um, ways after sermon to maybe work through some of that stuff. We have prayers of the people. 
We have um, people praying over there in the corner. If that's where you want to just, just whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, go to those places. Or after, find a friend and say, hey, I, I, I need to confess something. Like, do some confession. The Catholics, they got that part right, you know? It's like, keep the confession coming because he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you and put you on a new road. And then you might go back. You know, that's part of the cycle of, of refinement. But he's faithful and just to forgive you. And so I just like to say, let's make this space this morning as you worship, as we pray, after, as we chit-chat and make lunch plans. Maybe before you make your lunch plans, um, ask someone if they want prayer for something. I don't know. I've done it a couple times and no one's ever said no, but I will say I've gotten some awkward looks. So be prepared for that. But ask, do you want some prayer? Can I pray for you about something? Surely, when we are together in the presence of God, God is saying something. What is God saying? He does not want us to leave the same as we came this morning. Guaranteed. We're going to finish up with slide number 23, Joe. A quote from N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar. Christian holiness consists not of trying as hard as we can to be good, but of learning to live in the new world created by Easter. There are many parts of the world we can't do anything about except pray. But there is one part of the world, one part of physical reality that we can do something about, and that is the creature each of us calls myself. I love that part, learning to live in the new world created by Easter. That's what we're doing. We're learning to live in this new world that has already begun. I'm just going to leave a couple, a few seconds of uh, silence as we look at our, our hearts as we ask God to search us. And then we'll uh, move on to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all of this, all of these words that have just been said and that we've sung such rich, true theology before that, all of these words, God, are, are just the beginning. We want you to affect our hearts and our lives. So would these words um, that, that have been said be filled with the presence of your spirit and go into the places they need to reach this morning, God, we We want to be signposts of your coming kingdom. We are signposts of your coming kingdom. We want to learn more what that looks like, God. We thank you that you are pure and that your heart is to purify us and that you do the work, that you do the work and that because of the cross, um, victory has already been achieved. Thank you for hope, God. In this week ahead of us, would you um, 
breathe new hope into our lives, into our world that we just didn't see before for whatever reason. And that we would know how to live in that hope, live in a posture of what it means to be hopeful. And Jesus, we say with all of those who have gone before us in history, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus and make all things right. Amen.